You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. We are better together. That's the message for this morning. And we will be better together if we all come to the picnic today. So I'm going to weave in this little announcement right now. You all got one of these little brochures when you came in this morning. And we would love to have you there. After the service, you could already head over there. There are kids' games. There are kids' rides. There are soccer rounders. There is tag football. There is baseball. There is Iron Man. There is food. Yay. Barbecue. And there's all kinds of things. There's transportation provided just for across the street at the Fortis building. You can park there till late and the, tr- and the bus will take you back and forth. So everything is provided for you. And uh, the cost is $5 a $5 a person, so uh, you don't have to bring desserts or bring your sweets this year. Everything is provided for you, and just arrive and absolutely enjoy and do community with us this afternoon. What a great day God's given to us. The weather is perfect for a picnic, and we're going to absolutely have a blast at the picnic doing it better together. A picnic by ourselves would be kind of boring. Sitting out there by yourself, having a picnic would be kind of boring. It would be better together. Church is better together. On our bulletin, you see there's a salt and pepper shaker because salt and pepper are better together. Uh, what else is better together? Somebody said this morning in the other service that bread and butter are better together. Uh, a drum and a guitar is better together. Can somebody else give me another, something else? What's better together? Somebody else give me one? Rob. Rob and Terry are better together. Not going to argue that, Rob. Ka-ching, ka-ching. That's a good deposit, man. I think you'll, that'll work for quite a while for you. Anyhow, anybody else? What's better together? What, black and white are better together. Yeah. Anybody else? One more? Ice cream and pie. Mama, mama, mama. Yes, I would agree. Better together. One more. No school and no homework are better together. Spoken like a true student going back to school this week. <laughs> Hate to break it to you. Summer holidays are over. So, <laughs> sweet and sour better together. So you get the picture. Things are better together. And as a church, we're actually better together on our own. We're not much of a church, but we're designed to be. The Bible says that every person has something to offer. Every, it says every joint supplies. Everybody coming together makes it better. We're better because we're together. We're better here this morning because we're together. We're better at the picnic because we're together. We'll have all our services together this afternoon at the picnic. That's better when we're all together. The grand services are better when all our services come together. We have a service starting in Pitt Meadows, and it'll be better for them because they'll come together as a community there. So needed there, and that starts September 23rd. Better together. When I was getting ready for this message, I was just looking. So how do we, how do we define community? What is community? I think God gives us a great recipe for community. But as I looked and studied and read and just even being aware of our Vancouver community, we're, we're struggling, really, as a city to find community. If you go to Wiki Answers and, and ask the question, what is community? They give you six answers, and all the answers are the same. One word, respect. 
And I would agree, respect helps build good community. But respect is not enough. You need more than that to build good community. You need more than social events to build good community. You need more than just sharing to build good community. And God gives us a recipe for good community. And we're going to talk about four things this morning. And really, you need all four of those things to have good community. It's kind of like driving your car down the highway. If you have one tire inflated at 38 pounds, which is the recommended rec tire inflation by the manufacturer, and you have another tire that's 30 pounds, and you have one tire at 10 pounds, and you have one tire at 44 pounds, how many know your car is not going to run very good down the highway? Likewise, in community, if we're really strong on one, but not strong on the other, it doesn't make for good community. But if you get all four of these working, you can have amazing community. And so we want to talk about that this morning. Our Vancouver Foundation, which is a great foundation, been around for a long time, one of the largest foundations really in North America, they were investigating, studying why we have a lack of community in our city, in Metro Vancouver. So they did a study called Connections and Engagement. And I thought their words were interesting because we have a Connect team. If you go downstairs after the service, you'll see people wearing Connect t-shirts with the whole objective is to help people get connected. In our LIFE acronym, when you go through the equipping bases, you'll find that the word LIFE is our acronym for the church, and E stands for engage. We want to engage our community, we want to be engaged with one another. And their study was called Connections and Engagement, a survey of Metro Vancouver. And what they found in there is really an analysis or it's a picture of what our community is like, what Metro Vancouver is like. Now, as I share this, let me just preface it by saying it's a diagnosis of a city that's hurting. So there are some good things in that report, but there are also some things that I think as a church community we need to be aware of, and it's a sign of a city that needs help. We have visitors that come to Vancouver. I'm sure you do as well. Maybe you're visiting today. On a day like today, you look out, you see the North Shore Mountains, you see all that's happening downtown. You go, wow, what a beautiful city. It's one of the most livable cities in the world. And yet, I think it's also a whitewashed city. Because when you pull back the veneer, when you look into the apartments, when you look into the homes, you find a lot of hurting people. And what they discovered in the survey is one of the biggest needs we have in our city the biggest need isn't homelessness. The biggest need isn't poverty. The biggest need isn't that we're ravaged by war. Our biggest need in our city is loneliness, isolation, and a disconnect. That might be surprising because we live in a city that's amazing. But yet there's a disconnect here in our city. They found that people said we're increasingly living in silos. We're separated by ethnicity, culture, language, income, age, and even geography. They said the corrosion of caring and social isolation hurts them personally and hurts their community. I think as a church, we need to listen to what our community is saying. It would be easy to just to say, well, we're okay, but that wouldn't be right. God doesn't want that. Last week, we had the message that talked about first love, our first love being Christ. What would keep us from having a first love? And then Pastor Greg Rochelle by video was sharing about three prayers that he prayed. He prayed, Lord, stretch me. Then he prayed, God, heal me. And then he also prayed, God, ruin me. Now, not ruin in a bad way, because God came to heal the brokenhearted, but it was, God, touch my heart for what touches yours. Don't let me get so insulated, or don't let me get so preoccupied with myself that I can't see the hurting around me. 
So in a way, this is a follow-up to last week's message. If our city is finding that there is a disconnect, there's an isolation, there's a hurting people that are lonely in our city, then I think God would be speaking to the church that we should be an answer to that and we should be helping people to connect into community. And we should hurt with where they're hurting. We should identify that with that. So that's where we're going to go this morning. Just some highlights out of that survey that they found. They said that one-third of the people surveyed found it difficult to make new friends in Vancouver. And you may be new to Vancouver and say, yeah, I'm finding it kind of challenging as well to make friends here. They found that high-rise and apartment life actually affected people's ability to know their neighbors. They found that apartment dwellers and those living in the townhouses don't chat as much with their neighbor. They found that only 52% of people in the neighborhood would trust each other. So much of community is based on trust. Do I trust my neighbor? Do I trust them? Do I, would I allow them to have my key? Would I trust them to take care of my animal and my dog or whatever? So trust was lacking. Um, they, and another thing they found out was in the past 12 months, there was only 73% or uh, in the past 12 months, 73% had said they had never been invited or had any get-together with a neighbor of any kind. So 70, that's a, a lot of people said, I have never been to my neighbor's house, no get-together of any kind in my neighborhood. Many people in Metro Vancouver were retreating from the community life they found. Now, this is an interesting fact. The most often cited reason for not participating in the neighborhood or in the community was they felt that they had very little to offer. That was the number one reason. I, I would, but I don't know if I have much to offer. One of the reasons why we have the equipping basis and the third base, the 301, is all about finding what you can do, finding what the needs are, and matching them together as best as possible, giving you a place to serve with what you have. For example, the media team that do this media club, those are people that a lot of them uh, are, a lot of those clips and work that goes into it are photographers that come to the church, some help with editing, but they, that's what they can do. They have something to offer and they feel like they're part of the community because they have something to offer. If we look around the room this morning, what this survey says was lacking, we should rejoice because we have it here right now this morning. We have a, lots of ethnicity, we have lots of cultures, we have lots of age groups, we have lots of languages. This is the very thing they were saying was missing and it's here in the local church. I agree with Bill Hybels that the church is the answer for the world today. We really are an answer for loneliness, an answer for community, and much more, of course, but the church has something to offer for a hurting city, especially when it comes to community. Uh, I could give you lots of other stats that came out of that, but one interesting one was this, was regarding social media, because in 2010, Angus Reid did a poll, and they found that people in Vancouver are more connected through social media than other Canadians. So when it comes to social media, when it comes to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, we are number one. We're right up there. But what they also found in the survey was that across Canada, we tend to be the loneliest people. So we're high on social media, but we're very low on face-to-face -face connections. 
And so this whole month, as we talk about Better Together, one of our goals is to help more of us connect together into life groups. Pastor James is our life group minister, and what we're going to be doing this month is, is rolling out, working on, helping more people get into life groups. We're believing for 100 life groups by the end of the year, and we're well on our way to do that. We have more homes opened up, more people getting together. Uh, really, our goal is that you can come to church, be part of our community, and you do not have to be lonely. You do not have to be isolated. There is a place for you to fit. Now, this doesn't happen so much by organization as it happens by organic. It's more organic than it is organized. We've tried the organized approach. We say, okay, where do you live? You live in that building, you go to this group. And you live at that street, you go to that group. But guess what? You don't necessarily get along so well with those people. You like them, but they're, they're not maybe your best fit. We found that it happens better organically. And you just kind of get together. We pray about that. We pray a lot about that, that you'd find people that you would fit with, that you could do community with in a small setting and then also a big setting like we have today at a picnic or at a service. Really, you need both. You need this kind of a setting, but you also need the smaller setting to be healthy. And so we're going to work on that this month, and you'll hear more about it as we go through it. So if you have your notes, go to Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, or in your Bible, or you can scan the QR code. It'll come up on there as well. Acts chapter 2. It says, they joined. This is the early church. This is the headwaters. This is our, our recipe for church. We just go back and say, how did the early church do it? Let's just copy them. Do what they did. So what did they do? They joined with other believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper in prayer. What is fellowship? Fellowship is just the same bunch of fellows in the same ship. That's all that that is. We're just, we're just people being together. Fellows in the same ship. Uh, and they had a deep sense of awe, came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. So they had these amazing apostles teaching, and that was a big part of what they're doing. Verse 44, and all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They got together a lot. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Have you ever been to a life group with great joy and generosity? Too much food, too much stuff. Wow, we can't even eat all this stuff. Laughter. I love a good life group. I go to a life group on Wednesday morning at a business and then I go to life group at our home on Tuesday nights. And sometimes on Tuesdays, we've had a long day, lots of meetings. We'll come home. It's now, you know, 6 o'clock. Quickly have something to eat. And we know we have to quickly clean up. People will be arriving at 7 o'clock. And you're going, boy, I'm pretty tired. Maybe we should just cancel life group tonight. But no. You kind of have to push through. There's kind of this push through. And then you push through. Everybody arrives. And by 9 o'clock or 9.30, when it's over, you just feel so rejuvenated. You've laughed, you've shared meal, you pray, you wept, and you just, you did life. I don't know what that's worth, but it's worth a lot for your health. You know, they found in the study that people that are in community, they actually are healthier. And this is really, really important for Vancouverites because we're an aging population. And the older you get, the more you need community and connections. 
It's also important in our community because a lot of us have moved here from other cities, other countries, and we don't have as many family members as where we move from. And so the church offers a place to be connected with each other. Four things that we can see from this early church that are really important for us to do life together. Number one, there was a spiritual component. If you're filling the blank, the word is spiritual. They studied the apostles' teachings together. They got together and they shared the word. They studied it. We do the same thing here. Sunday mornings, you hear a message. Then in life group, what do we do? We review the message. When we're sitting in the setting like this, we can't have an open session. We say, I think this and I think that and, because it would be chaos. And so we present the teaching like the early church did. But in a life group, we can all add. When I'm in a life group, as a pastor, I'm taking notes. Oh, that'll preach. I'm going to use that. That'll preach it. I'm taking notes for the next Sunday. I'm learning with you in life group. It's because we share it together. We hear it there, but we also share it in life group together. We talk about it. That's what the early church did. They reviewed it. They studied it. They took the Lord's Supper together. We take the Lord's Supper here once a month. We also do it in our life groups. We did it at our family camp. We took communion together. Why do we do that? This was Jesus' idea. He said, until I come back, get together, take the Lord's Supper. It's something that ties and binds us together. All around the world, people do this. We are one body. We take it together. This is what makes a church community different from other communities. We need to belong to other communities, whether it be our school community, our work community, our neighborhood communities. It's great to be plugged into them, but there's something special about God's community because there's a spiritual factor that binds you together. You can work on a project with somebody and you're close, but if you work on a project with somebody and you also got together in a small group and you prayed together, there's a whole nother level of closeness when you pray and you share and you study God's word. It really brings us together as a community. It's God's way. They also worshiped in the temple. They worshiped in their homes. They prayed together. Prayer was a big part of what they did. Colossians 4.2, it's not in your notes, but it'd be a good verse to write down. It says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Good to pray for each other. This past Saturday, Pastor Shell referred to it. We were talking about praying for one another. You know what Jesus said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, I have to go further into the garden. Would you watch and pray for an hour? And also on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he'd ask his disciples to pray. Three best boys. Peter, James, and John, would you guys pray for me while I go? Now, sadly, in both cases, they fell asleep. Did you ever fall asleep praying? I fall asleep praying. I meant well, but I fell asleep. And sometimes, so, so I don't fall asleep, I have to walk. I just walk and, I, I walk and pray because I don't fall asleep. Well, the Bible says to watch and pray. And watch means you're alert. You're, you're, you're aware of what's going on. Today at the, at the picnic, we'll have security guards that will watch for us. We'll hire them to watch for us so it's safe for us to have a picnic. We don't expect any problems, but we just have them watching. Sometimes it must be boring for them because they have to walk around and they just, they're just watching. And I might be in a place where I have an important business meeting. Or maybe you're in a place where you have somebody in the hospital and you're really busy. When you write on that prayer request, would you pray for me? You know what we do? We watch and pray. We're that one who's watching. We're alert and we're just... We're just praying, interceding for you. We're watching for you while you're doing whatever you need to do. You're covered in prayer. That early church, they watched and they prayed. They prayed for one another. 
Now, in a gathering like this, if I would say to somebody out here, I say, you know, would you please stand up and pray? I'd say, George, George, would you please stand up and pray today? He might say, um, yeah, I'll pass. I really don't feel comfortable praying in this group here. Uh, I don't know if I'd be spiritual enough or whatever. He, he'd do fine, but he just might feel uncomfortable praying in this setting. But if he had a, people in his home and he has five or six people over, it's no problem praying. Because you learn to pray. It's easy to pray in those settings. And sometimes we can't do it in the bigger setting, but we can do it in the smaller setting. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it's there in your notes. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, here's what I want you to do. When you gather for worship, each one of you prepare, be prepared with something that will be useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. Now that's not happening this morning. Because we, we just wouldn't have enough time. We would never make it to the picnic if we took turns, okay? I want to start over here with Ernesto and go all the way back. You share your insight, lead a hymn, and what else does Paul say to do? Or you could maybe uh, teach a lesson. Okay, Ernesto, okay, now you his daughter. All the way. How many know it would take a long time to get over to this man over here? We just, you'd be bored. You'd be like, I checked out a long time ago. So it can't really work in this setting, but it works in the home, the life group setting. Everybody can come and participate. This is what some people call the Second Reformation. The First Reformation, we got the Bible back. The Second Reformation, we got the ministry back. We get to do the stuff. It happens in life groups, in small groups. They met in their home. The spiritual component, very, very important. All right. Secondly, there's a leadership component. The first was a spiritual component in order to have community. Strong, healthy community, what ties us together, that spiritual component, the truth, the love of God binds us together. You know, there's a song that used to be sung, blessed be the tie that binds. What ties us together? It's our common faith in our Lord. Secondly, leadership. That community had strong leadership. The apostles were teaching, they were studying, they were ministering with power. There were results. It wasn't dead religion. There was something powerful about it. Signs and wonders. Prayers are being answered. And that kept people together. One of the reasons I look forward to coming to church is because they're just, God's doing so much. Get excited. But we can't even talk about all the miracles that take place. We just would, we should do more of it. We're thinking of starting a blog just to, to share some of the miracles that are taking place. Yesterday morning, we had an amazing wedding. Mike and his wife got married. And Mike had come up to me, Rob and Terry were there, you were, you were attendants at the wedding, they got married. And Mike had said to me, you know, I came to this church eight years ago. He, he, this was his first church he ever came to. And he'd been living with his, his, his common-law wife, Susan, for a number of years. And uh, he just said, you know, it took me a long time, I'm kind of a slow learner. But he said to me, I want to get my foundation right. Even though we have some children, I want to come, I want to get married. And it was a miracle. It was powerful. As they exchanged vows and said, we want to make a covenant before God. That didn't happen overnight, but there is this process of God changing lives. And God's changing lives even as we see it here today. There was miracles as people shared their story last night that were water baptized. And you just say, God, you are so at work. And the early church, there were miracles. There were God was at work, and it kept the community together. There was leadership that went with it. Thirdly, there was support in that community. 
This component is really important to building community. They spontaneously shared their material possessions with others. If there was a need, they didn't have to have somebody organize it. They just dumped up and helped them out. You know, we see that happening in our life groups. If somebody can't pay their rent, often we'll see the life group get together. Hey, I'll help you this month. We'll go through that. Or somebody's in the hospital. The life group gets there before even a pastoral visit can get there. The life group's already there. Somebody's had a baby. You know what the, the women will do? They'll get together and they'll bring meals every, every day for that family until that mom can get up and cook her own meals. That's just sharing. That's community. You don't forget that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be that. It can be anything. Matter of fact, we need to encourage more spontaneous sharing. That early church, they sold some things to be able to give. We could take a lesson from the early church. We could, we could sell some stuff that we don't even use and give it to somebody else in need. I dare you. I double-dog dare you to pray a prayer and just say, God, show me who has a need, and I want to respond to that. It'll be one of the greatest days of your life. You'll just say, wow, God, you spoke to me, one thing. Secondly, I got to share with what you gave me. It's a higher life. It's a whole nother level of living when we're able to share like that. They did that. Their greatest resource was in their relationships, and that's the same thing for us. Our greatest resource is not what we have in the bank. It's not what we're driving. It's not where we live. It's not even our Canadian passport. Our greatest resource is our relationships. There's a story in the Bible about a woman, and her husband had died. He was a minister. He was a prophet. And she went to Elisha, and she said, Elisha, I have a problem. My husband is dead, and I'm broke. I'm flat broke. She didn't have the social net that we would have in Canada today. She says, I have no money. I need some help. Matter of fact, it is so bad. The creditors are coming, and they want to take my boys as slaves. Now, when you're a mom, and your boys are going to take away from you, 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 you need something. And she had something that saved her. So she went to the prophet, Elisha, and he said, here's what you need to do. Go to your neighbors. And he said, first of all, I asked her what you have. She said, well, I don't have anything. I've got a little bit of oil in a jar in my house, a little bit of olive oil, and that's all I've got. And God just looks for what's in your house. There's a message called, there's a miracle in your house. And, and she had a little bit of oil in her jar. He says, here's what you do. Go to your neighbors, knock on their door. Excuse me, could I borrow a jar for some oil? Sure, here's the jar. Go to the next neighbor. Hello, hi Susie, uh, I, need some, I need a jar for some oil. Can I borrow a jar? Sure, here's a jar. So she went to all her neighbors. She brought all the jars back. Then the prophet took that one that had a little bit of oil and he began to pour into the other jars. Supernaturally, the oil did not run out. Just kept pouring and pouring and pouring, kind of like Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves. And eventually, all the jars were filled with oil. And when the last jar was filled, the oil stopped. Now, where were her resources? It was in her relationships. What if she would have gone to her neighbors? Hi, it's your neighbor. I'd like to borrow a jar. You have never talked to me. You do not even know my name. Why in the world would I give you my jar? No thanks. Slam. Next neighbor. Hi, you don't know me. I've never talked to you. I've ignored you all this time. I've never even said hi to you. But uh, I'm kind of in a bind. They're going to come take my kids as slaves. And I really need to borrow your jar because the prophet wants to put some oil into it. Could you borrow? No. Okay. But her resources was this. She was plugged into community. She had built relationships. Her strength was in her relationships. Another story in the book of Luke. There's a centurion, and he 
is viewed as an enemy in their community because they occupied the land. But this guy, even though he would have been considered an outsider, built relationships. He invested in their synagogue. He built relationships with the leaders. And there was a day when his servant was sick to the point of death. He must have been a very kind centurion because he gave into the community. He built relationships into the community. And he also really cared about his servant. So at that point, when a servant is sick, he goes to some of the leaders and he said, I heard about Jesus, that he's healing the sick. Do you think you could set me up to, to visit him? And they set up a visit with him and Jesus. Jesus meets him, talks to him, and he says to Jesus, I too am a man under authority. He didn't say I'm a man with authority. He said I'm a man under authority. There's a difference. And Jesus said, you've got great faith. Today, go home, your servant is healed. What was the key to his provision? This man lived in community. He had built relationships into that community, even though he was viewed as an outsider. You might be here in Vancouver today and say, man, I feel like a bit of an outsider. Build relationships, build community. And I think church is one of the best places you can build relationships just by plugging into what's offered here or in other churches. So there was a support component that came along with it. We could give other examples of that, and we will as we go through the series. The fourth one is a social component. Again, just to review, number one was this spiritual component. Number two, a leadership component. And number three, a support component that was there. They supported each other. And then lastly, number four, there's a social component. They got together in people's homes. They knew each other. One of the things that they found out in our Vancouver Foundation survey is that people's apartments know each other less than people that live other places. I don't know about you, but I, when I read that, I was kind of convicted because I don't know a lot of my neighbors' names even. And that was one of the things they pointed out, that a lot of people don't even know their neighbors' names. And uh, I should, and I, I'm convicted, I'm going to work on that, but sometimes I'll get on the elevator, and uh, you know people have weird habits on elevators, have you, have you noticed that? I would like to do a study of weird habits of people on elevators. Because I'll, I'll get on, and, and sometimes I'll see people get on, and they'll press their floor, and then they press the close button. It's like they really want the elevator to close. I, I, I honestly, I just feel like telling them, you know, it will close. It'll take maybe half a second longer, but it's going to be okay. Uh, and there's just, or sometimes they'll get on the elevator, and they'll, they'll press it, and they'll hide in the corner. They'll just stand in the corner like this. It's like, I'm not going to bite, honestly. It's all okay. Or sometimes they'll get out and they'll just, they'll just look at the numbers. And they just stand there. And it's just, you find that sometimes elevators just can be really awkward, depending on what happens. Uh, but if you ever just break the ice and just say, how's your day going? Or it's a nice day outside. Or going for a walk. Or a nice dog. Right away, you just go, oh, somebody's talking to me. And they just, yes. And they, they, they want to talk. They want to be in a conversation. I'm the same way. If I'm on an elevator and somebody strikes up a conversation, I go, oh, wow, you're, you're actually talking to me. This is, this is good. You know, so we live in a world that we could be much more friendly to build relationships, to build community. They met in each other's homes. This is significant. Jesus was in a house when they lowered the man through the roof. That was four guys Four guys, like-minded, who opened up the roof and let a paralytic down. Their strength, again, was in their relationships. Four guys who really cared for them. And it was a packed house. There was no room in there. This is why we know that four of a kind beats a full house. So they just... <laughs> That's really bad. I, I don't know where that came from. Anyhow, they lowered 
him down there, and he received his help. They were in community. That's why it worked. But in the house, Jesus, when he sent the disciples in Luke chapter 10, he said, go into the communities and go into their Starbucks coffee restaurant. No. Go into their bars. No. Go into the playground. No. Go into the community center. No. He said, go into their homes. Go to their homes. Meet in their homes. Why? Because if I meet you in Starbucks, I'll learn a little bit about you. But if I go to your house, now I really know you. I see what art you like. I see what books you read. I see how your house is done. I have a much better idea of who you are in your house. If somebody invites me to their house, it's very different than if somebody invites me to a restaurant for a meal. It's totally different. They've allowed much more of themselves to be exposed by coming to their house. Jesus said it should happen in homes. Something takes place when we meet in a house together. And the early church, they met together like this, and then they met in homes. Not always possible, but that's ideal to meet in homes. This is where we really get to know one another. They ate their meals together, social component. They worshiped together. That's why Alpha works. Alpha has all this stuff in it. It's got the word component, the spiritual component, the worship component, the social component, the small group component. It's got the right blend, the right recipe. And that's why we make incredible friends at an Alpha course or in our life groups or even Abundant Life. Those same components are there that make it work so well. What was the result of all this? Acts 2, verse 47, it says, people in general liked what they saw. And I think that's true. People in general like it when they see community. You know one of the most attractive things about Coastal Church? I'm just going to brag about Coastal Church for a bit. One of the most attractive things is that we're so diverse and we're all together. One well, of the first things that people say, I came here, you got all kinds of nationalities. You got all kinds of people. You all hang out together. I don't understand this worship thing, but you're all worshiping God. And I, I don't understand why people put their hands in the air, but I, you're all, you all love something. And even if you're not part of a church community, you cannot help but be drawn to joy, to unity, to love, to laughter, and God, you're, you're worshiping something that's powerful, and there's answers to prayer. Very attractive. And that's what built the local church in the early days. And I think that same thing builds a local church today. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.